When I think about not getting it, I think about a dad who was driving home one day and he looked up on the porch and there stood his fifth grade son with a bunch of his friends. And they, they looked they, like they were doing something. He couldn't figure out what they were doing. And he walked up and he looked at his son. And he said, hey, what are you guys doing? And his son said, dad, we're playing church. And he goes, uh, what do you mean you're playing church? He goes, well, if you go in the living room, all the chairs are set up like church. And Bobby led worship and I preached the sermon. And now we're all standing outside on the porch, smoking and cussing and talking about women. <laughs> A lot of people play church, don't they? It probably is something everybody here knows that when Jesus came, the group that attacked him most vehemently were religious people. You see, I want you to grab this. God doesn't want you or I caught up in religion. But so often and so easily, we veer from the incredible truths of a relationship with the Lord into religion. And and what happens is then we start playing at it. We don't get it. We don't get it. And when you get it, it becomes incredible. When you get it, you start understanding the love God has for you and the life God has for you and the freedom he has for you and the power he has for you. And we begin to get it, but we got to do it God's way. And too often, we veer away from that. Friday night, a young guy got it. Now, I got to tell you, it was an answer to a mother's prayer. And it was answered in a way I don't know that any of us thought was going to happen. But what happened on Good Friday is we gathered together here and we focused on the cross and we took communion and we worshiped God and we gave people an opportunity to tell the Lord, to talk to God, to pray to him and say that they would give their life to him. And then after that, I said, if you really mean this, we're going to ask you to do something to mark this day as special in a way that's biblical, in a way that God would call you to by making your way to an aisle of the stairs and coming forward. And as I called for that and everyone stood to sing. This young guy, about 25 years old, ran. He ran across here, and he ran full speed down this aisle. And Daryl, one of our pastors, was standing here, and I could see this big smile on Daryl's face. And this guy ran and threw himself onto Daryl. They almost fell over. And and he's hugging him really tight. Well, a lot of people were coming forward here, so I started over here to welcome them. And all of a sudden, this guy ran and blindsided me, man. He almost took me down. I'm like, whoa, and he's got me. And he's so emotional, and he gets me to look him in the eye because of all the singing, and he he starts telling me as loud as he can. He goes, Pastor Chuck, I get it. I get it. He said, my mom, all my life, my mom's wanted me to get it. She's wanted me to know the Lord. She's wanted me to know his ways. I just didn't understand. I didn't get it. And then my mom died. And two days ago, Pastor Daryl did the funeral, and sitting there, I got it. He said, but I didn't know what to do. And tonight I know what to do. I've come forward. I'm his. And he goes, I want to tell you this. I believe God is somehow telling my mom that her prayers are answered. Yeah, isn't that awesome? He got it. He got it. How many people, you know, some of you today, there are people that have been praying for you. Some of you are dads, your kids have prayed and hoped and cried out for you, or your wife has. Some of our moms, that, they, they're your kids and, and friends and sisters and brothers that prayed for. Some of you are children, your mom and dad have slaved in prayer for, and we've wanted you to get it. And here's why. Not because we don't like you. Not because we don't like who you are or what you do. It's because we couldn't love you more than we do. But do you know who wants you to get it the most is God the Father. And he wants you to have a relationship and to know him and to know his love. And that's what he desires. In John 17, 3, Jesus said these words. He said, this is eternal life. Now grab that. This is the definition of what eternal life is. That they may know you, the only true God who's God the Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
And the idea behind that, the, the teaching, the, the incredible truth that underlies this is, comes from the, the Greek word gnosko. You see, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Greek word for know is the Greek word gnosko, and it means to know by experience. It's not the idea that you know by head knowledge. It's the idea that you know it to be true because you experience it. Jesus is saying this. This is eternal life that you might have an experiential relationship with God. That you might experience God as your father. And by the way, Jesus wants it to be so intimate that it's God as your Abba father. What does Abba mean? Abba means daddy or papa. It's the idea that it's not just he's heavenly father, he's your dad, he's your papa. I have four grandchildren and my favorite word in the world is papa and they run and scream it out and throw their arms up to me and man, my heart leaps because we're that intimate. Uh, the other day, Pam and I weren't home, and Jill had to grab something at our house, and she pulls up, and Liam and Eleanor are going, Papa, 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 and then she goes, but he's not here, and they just started crying. Now, you know what? They, they have a relationship with me. I'm not just some vague figure out there. Now, you ready? God wants to be that close to you. He wants to be able to touch you and, and be with you and guide you, and here's the thing. A lot of people don't get it. Uh, matter of the way, scarily, Scarily. I have a staff of people who call those on me. I'm, I'm going to get called. It's a scary thing that many times people go to church week after week and they just have a religious experience. Or they read about something in the Bible and they just have a religious experience, but not a relational experience. It's not to be religious. And the minute we drift into that, we end up taking away all the power and all the meaning and all the truth behind it. And, and by the way, on Easter, that happens all the time. See, Easter, again, is the culmination, and I'm using that word purposefully, uh, the culmination, the bringing together of the three-year ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And they all are just stamped with an exclamation point in the death, burial, and resurrection on Friday that he died for our sins. And now here's the key. Why did he die for our sins? He didn't die for your sins just to forgive you. He didn't die for your sins just because you did them. He died for your sins so that he could forgive you so you could enter into a relationship with God the Father as your Abba Father. And we miss that. We miss everything. We don't get it. So when we understand that he wants to take sin from us and free us and, and that we, we didn't understand it's about a relationship. Are you ready for this? By the way, he didn't die just for your sins. The Bible said he died for your hurts and your pains. See, there's some of you today that man, it... it, it Evil has been done to you. Maybe even by someone you trusted or someone who should never have done it. They've done things to you. And you're hurt from it and you're wounded from it. And maybe you're at a point where you're numb or you've put up big barricades to keep people out. Or you always walk around feeling like you're less deserving and you don't matter and, and they cheapened you. And you've allowed what they've done to you to define you and dictate how you act in life. And Jesus died on the cross, not just for sins we've done, but sins committed against us so you might be freed and healed from that. 
That's why he died. And then you come into a relationship with a father who loves you. That's what it's for. Now, he didn't just die. He was buried, and he was in the tomb so that he might conquer death. And then he rose again that he might come out victorious, and he might show us a way to live like we can't imagine. And so here's what I don't want you to miss. It's about the death, burial, and resurrection, and we should get it. So Easter's about that. But you know what else is about that? Baptism. If you have your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 6. Baptism is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's why we need to understand the correct teaching of baptism and take it correctly because it is a point where we get the death, burial, and resurrection power. Too many people, now here's the thing, have made it a religious ritual. It's not a religious ritual. Baptism is about you choosing to experience in an intimate way with Jesus himself, the death, burial, and resurrection being enacted upon you so that you have newness of life. And too often people just kind of go through the motion. Well, that doesn't get you anything. And you might say, well, you know, what if I have done that? Then what should I do? I'm going to tell you right now, and we'll talk about it more later, you ought to get baptized right. By the way, in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes upon a group of believers, and, and they're believers. And then he says, do you have the power of God moving in your life? And they said, uh, no, no, we don't even understand the power of God. And then his question was this, into what were you baptized? And they said, John the Baptist baptized us. He goes, well, John baptized you for repentance. You need to be baptized for the newness of life in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, now you got to be baptized. Notice they didn't go, wait, 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 we were baptized by John. No, they needed to go through the baptism of the death, burial, and resurrection experience. Then newness of life came to them. You see, you need to be able to do it not for a religious reason, but for a relational change and experience. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 6 where he says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Look at verse 3 again. Do you not know that all of us, by the way, everybody needed to do this. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. It starts by a death experience. Now, now here's the point. The word baptism means to dip, submerge, or plunge. Everybody agrees on that. There's one meaning for the word, to immerse completely, to plunge completely. We all know that's the meaning of the word. And the idea behind it is you're buried. You're plunged in. You, you go into a watery grave in an image that you're taking on that Jesus died and was buried too. There has to be a burial for there to be a true baptism. And it's a burial of the old self. And we do it with Jesus Christ. And Paul said, all of us do that. Don't you know that's what you were doing? You were taking on the death of Christ at that moment. Now, in understanding that, think about verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that, and this is a purpose statement, why, what are we to get out of it? So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, again, another purpose statement, so we too, we too might walk in the newness of life. The idea that is I get buried and I do it with Jesus. By the way, I'm buried with Christ. In other words, if someone chooses to do this today, it's about being with Jesus. It's about a personal experience. It really is him putting his arms around you and going, we're going to do this together. I died for you. Now you're saying you're willing to give everything and die for me. And as you go under the water, you're buried with Christ. And then you're raised up in the resurrection power of Christ for the newness of life. And again, it's something you do with the Lord for for a purpose. The purpose is to experience death to your old self and life in the new. In other words, the old Chuck goes under the water, the new Chuck comes up. The sinful Chuck goes 
was in the water and, and the born again, cleansed, righteous Chuck comes up. Not based on what I do, based on what he did. And it's a point where you take on a new life and you're not the same person anymore. And the old person has died and the new person has come. You know, let's take this. What if you committed a horrible crime and then you get killed? We can't arrest you. If you're dead, can you be arrested if you're dead? Can you go to prison if you're dead? No. See, it's all I did. The Lord says, well, you're, you're actually guilty, so I'll just kill you. Now you're gone. That person's not going to be judged anymore because you're dead. But I'm going to raise you to be a brand new life, a brand new person, empowered by God. That's the death, burial, and resurrection experience. That's what he wants you and I to have. Verse 5 says this. If we have become united with him. See, this is the key is doing it with him. United with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of the resurrection, knowing this. Now we get back to a purpose. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now here's where we go. This, this death, burial, resurrection was done so you and I would be freed from sin and not commit sin anymore. That we would not have that in in keeping us in bondage, not be who we are. We're not going to play at church. We're not going to do a religious ritual and walk out and still act the same. We're to be different people. We're to live a brand new life. He said, all this was done so you and I might take on Christ's likeness. So you and I might do this. And we're no longer slaves from sin. Verse 7, why? For he who has died has been freed from sin. And then in verse eight, it says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. It's about living a new life. And see, the whole idea of Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection, the idea of baptism is in getting empowered by God through being with him, worshiping him, experiencing this with him, that you and I might live a brand new life. And it says in verse eight, now if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing knowing that as Christ has been raised from the dead and is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Now grab this. Now we have a change in how we approach life. We're now dead to sin. We're dead to wanting to do that, dead to wanting to experience it, dead to wanting to enact it. But we're alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, if that's true, if you've taken this on, if you've let this happen to you, verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. We're going to get to that more in a minute. But don't let sin reign. Christ should reign. The calling of God should reign. Love should reign. Freedom should reign. Not sin. Not sin. And it says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive in the dead and your members as instruments to righteousness in God. For sin must not master you, for you are not under the uh, law, but you're under grace. Now, what he's saying is that in, in the law idea, the religious idea, we try to be a better person. But in the, the idea of God's power, we become a new person. And, and by the way, let me say this as clear as I can. Jesus died because we sinned. And we all have sinned. As a matter of fact, everybody in this room has sinned. Now, I know some of you go, I don't think that. You know, I don't think it's right for a pastor to say I'm a sinner. Well, guess what? You're a sinner. Everybody here has sinned. The Bible says that everybody has lied. Did you know that? Everyone here has lied? Look around you. There's a bunch of liars in the room. <laughs> and if you go, oh, I haven't lied, then you just lied when you said that. Everybody in here has stolen, the Bible says. You've taken something that wasn't yours. By the way, women, watch your purses. Bunch of thieves all around you. And some of you might go, well, when I did it, it was a little thing. That still makes you a thief. 
It was a little lie. That still makes you a liar. If you shoot a short person, you're still a murderer. You can't go, well, hey, sorry, judge. They were under 5'4". It's a different, no, right? And by the way, none of us have done just a little. I, I really had this happen. I was talking to a guy and he, he said, I don't know where you get off telling me that, that I'm a sinner. I'm a good person. I go, no, you're not. They go, who are you to tell me that? I said, let me just, yeah, let's just talk. If right now God took away a gift he gave you called the ability to keep your thoughts private, how many people would think you're good? What if every thought you ever thought was public? Husbands, how many, how many wives would think you're a good husband if they knew every thought you think? <laughs> By the way, wives, how many, would, how, many, how many husbands would think you're a good wife if they knew? By how many children would think you're a good mom? Think about if your kids knew everything you thought about them. Children, how many of you would even be alive if your parents knew, right? You know, how many of you would have a job if your boss knew what you thought? By the way, do you think we have a road rage problem now? What if driving down the freeway, everybody could hear everything? You see, the truth of the matter is there's all these things in us and God wants you freed from that. And he died so that you might be cleansed and you might be clean and you might be whole. He doesn't want you pretending, but he wants you experiencing this brand new life. And so what did he do? He came and died on the cross because we have sinned. And that keeps us from the, not only a relationship with God, which is vital, it keeps us from this amazing life he wants us to live. That's his great desire. Now in saying that, let me shift gears and I'm gonna bring it all together. And I think you'll grab it, but, but I'm going to ask you to kind of do a mental jump with me. Get ready. Here's where we're going. Jesus. Remember we said Easter's the culmination of the life and the teaching of Jesus. So here's the thing I want to ask you. Did you know there's one word, there's one word that sums up everything Jesus taught? Did you know there's a core teaching, a core purpose of every teaching Jesus gave? If you grab a Bible and flip to the New Testament, look for the words written in red, and you know the meaning of this word, you're going to see everything he said aimed to this. Now, I wanna, don't yell it out, but I want to ask, do you think you know what the one word is? Because in a moment, you will. But everything, everything comes down to this one word, this core central purpose. And, and, and Mark tells us and Matthew tells us. So Mark chapter 1 verse 14. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the good news of God, the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And here's the one word, repent. Repent and believe in the gospel. He went everywhere preaching a message of repentance. Now, I want you to think about that. That's the one word. And when you think about him being with a rich young ruler, he was telling that rich young, rich young ruler to repent. When he was with the woman caught in adultery, he was telling her to repent. With the woman at the well who was so abused and, and left out and ostracized, he said, repent. Uh, he said it to Zacchaeus that everybody hated. He said, repent. Uh, and, and he went to Mary Magdalene and he told her, you can, you can repent. Everywhere he went, everything he said, the Sermon on the Mount is calling for a change. The word repent means to turn around and change. And then in Matthew, it, it goes into more depth on it. Matthew 4 verse 12 says, Now when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. Now this becomes important where he is, why he went there. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, which is by the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now why did he go there? Well, there's two reasons. One, to fulfill prophecy. Hundreds of years before Isaiah said the Messiah would be there preaching a particular message, bringing hope in that area. So he went there because he knew that's where he had to be. 
And it says in verse 14, this was to fulfill what was spoken of through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by way of the sea, which is the Sea of Galilee, beyond the Jordan. Galilee, and catch this, of the Gentiles. See, in Galilee, the Capernaum area was Jewish and the Tiberias area was Gentile. It was one of the areas where the Jewish culture and the Roman culture and all other business merged together. And Jesus went there on purpose to say something. What I'm about to say is for everybody. It's for the Jews who are my chosen people. It is for the Gentiles who I'm going to love and I'll die for. It's for everybody. And so guess what? It's for you. Whether you're, you know, whatever your ethnicity is, this is for you. Whatever your social background is, this is for you. Whatever your educational ability is, this is for you. No matter what age you are, it's for you. Uh, today we I watched a fifth grade girl give her life to Christ to get baptized, and I watched a 90-year-old woman get baptized. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. And so that's why he was there. He went there on purpose because he went for everybody with the same message. Verse 16, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death upon them a light dawned. And for that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, now, I want you to catch what it was. He wants you to experience the light of God in your life and not darkness. He wants you to find life and not death. And so many people are dying. Right now, by the way, everybody in here is physically dying. I don't mean to be mean, but I, I, we in our church family, our hearts are breaking. Because there's two or three people who have come and said the doctors have looked them in the eye and say you only have months. In one person's case, weeks. But whether the doctors looked you in the eye and told you that, you all know you're going to die, right? I mean, right now. But God doesn't want death to envelop you. He wants life to envelop you. But beyond even the physical, which God is interested in, there's something even more. Some people's marriages are dying. Some people's relationship with their children is dying. Some people are dying inside and you're lonely and hurting and you're in agony and you feel like nobody cares. And so you're dying inside. And Jesus said, I don't want you sitting in the land of death and the darkness that's begun to overwhelm you. I want you set free. Some people, ready? You don't even know you're dying, but you're actually slowly dissipating away because you're living a life that has no meaning or value in reality. And you were made by God to have significance. You were made by God to make a difference. You were made by God to matter. And the truth of the matter is at this moment, your life doesn't have all that it should have. And it's just a waste. And he doesn't want that to die. He doesn't want your destiny to die and your purpose to die. It matters too much. So what does Jesus say? He says, repent. He says, repent. And, and, and it, you know, it's sad to say many people have made that word repent into a negative, abusive word. But by the way, and please, I think you're going to agree. The word repent is one of the most beautiful words you could hear. Now why? Because when Jesus said repent, here's what he's saying. He was saying, you don't have to go on the way you are. You can change. Repent means, are you ready for this? You have a choice. You have a choice. You don't have to live the way you are anymore. He's actually telling you something. You can repent. How about this? Repent means you're not too far gone. Repent doesn't mean you're so far away that he's like, you couldn't come back. He's saying you can. And you might say, I have done horrible things. I have hurt people. By the way, before I was a Christian, that's what brought me to God. Man, I, 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 was, I had made people victims of my selfishness. I had enacted my own desires in such a way that people were wounded and hurt. And I remember laying in bed at night so aware of what I had done just it came crashing down on me. And I laid there 
in a gut-wrenching moment, and God entered my room, and I knew it was him, and I knew he loved me anyway. And I didn't have to keep being the kind of person I was. I could change. I could repent. Are you ready? You could have done the most horrible thing you could imagine, and God couldn't love you more than he does. And here's the good news. The blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any sin you've ever committed. You can have forgiveness. You can repent. You can change. It is, it's a beautiful word. And that means no one who's sitting here right now has to walk out the same. No one who's watching online right now has to remain there. Every one of us can repent and, and start living more and more the life God wants us to. You have a choice. It may not be easy for you. You know, when we get to the whole issue of overeating, I have people all the time saying, I just can't do it. Well, yes, you can. By the power of God, you can. But you know what? It just isn't going to be easy. But God can walk you through it and help you through it because there's the spiritual fruit called self-control. You can be different. Uh, You know what? And and I want to tell you today that God can help change you. God wants to change you. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ we celebrate on Easter and in baptism is about taking on a power from God and a newness of life. And so when we do it, not as a religious experience, but relationally with the Lord, it all changes so I'm going to get a little bit blunt right now. I've done it every service. I'm going to do it again. And, and I got a feeling uh, uh, we've seen this happen. Some of you right now in this next few minutes are going to think, I, I don't even like this guy. Some of you are about to say, how dare you? I say what I'm about to say. Uh, and, and some of you go, I didn't go to church for this. I could go to a lot of churches and not hear this. Let, let me tell you, not to be judgmental, you can go to a lot of churches and not hear what I'm about to tell you because the pastors want you to like them. And they're afraid if they say it, you'll walk out not liking them. Now, here's the good news. I've got a wife that loved me, children that love me, grandchildren that love me. I don't need you to like me. So, you, you know, um, I really don't need for you to like me, okay? I, I really don't. I don't walk around just being concerned that everybody here likes me. But you know what I want to tell you is I do care about you. And I more care about what God thinks. So I'm about to say some truth. And let's just start with one of them. You ready? Some of you today, you need to give your life to Christ and get committed to a church. If you're not committed to a church, then you're in sin. And if you say, oh, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, I don't know what Bible you read. No, I'm serious. You know what it says in the Bible? Do not forsake the gathering together of the body. And that was said to a group of people that they could have died if they didn't, it didn't go. In the Bible, it says very clearly that they went out from us because they're not of us, John said. In other words, those who are of us will be with us, and those who aren't will go out. And I know there's some of you sitting here going, that's not true. I don't need church. That's called pride. And there's seven things God hates, and the number one is pride. And if you think you can do without the bride of Christ, the church of Christ, and be solid in God, you think you know more than God, that's called pride. And you need to get into a church and be committed and start serving. Right now, you need to make that decision. And, and you need to. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. If you came up to me and said, Chuck, I want to hang out with you, but I hate your wife. I don't want to, Pam is ugly. I don't want to be around her. Do you think we could be friends? So how do we think we can insult Jesus' church? And you might say, well, there's a lot of problems in the church. Yeah, so you should join us because you got a lot of problems too. So come and be a part, you know. But don't in your pride think you're better and don't in your pride think you can do without it. You don't know better than God. Jesus Christ called you to this. Some of you, that's the decision you need to make. The other thing I want to say, some of you, and I know in a room this size, I'm going to say something that's going to hit. Some of you better stop drinking. 
You know what? I'm, and I'm not talking about moderation, but I, we know there are people who go way beyond moderation. We know that one in 10 people in the United States are alcoholics. The vast majority refuse to admit it. And you've got a drinking problem. You probably had people telling you you've got a drinking problem. And you may even know you do, but it's time for you to be set free. I know it's not easy, but I can tell you this. Jesus Christ, who turned water into wine, can turn that alcoholic lifestyle into a brand new life and set you free. And he can do it. And you need to stop making other people the victims of your alcoholism. And by the way, if you're a parent, know that you're visiting and down generation after generation. It's time to quit. And now, the other thing I want to say, if you're using drugs, you need to stop. You must stop. The Bible actually addresses drug use. It calls sorcery. In the Greek, it's a Greek word, pharmakia. It means to ingest or imbibe in drugs in a way that alters your consciousness. God considers that sorcery. He considers it evil. And you know what? We need to understand that God stands against it because it hurts you and it harms you and it causes you to buy into lifestyle that you don't want to be in. And you're not able to be yourself anymore. You're not able to live. You're not able to think to the fullest. And eventually it takes over. And so God has something better for you, but you just got to decide to quit. You got to repent because here's the key. You can. You can repent from pride. You can repent from alcoholism. You can repent from drug use. You can repent. How about this? From being the kind of person who makes other people pay because you're in their presence. You know, it's just sad. Some are so negative that they just take the life out of everything. Negativity. By the way, some people realize that God's against adultery and all those things. Did you realize he doesn't like complaining either? And, and, and you know what? If you're a negative person, why do you always have to make everybody experience your opinion? You know, and you need to repent of that. But how about this? What if you're abusive? I mean, there are some of you today that because you won't control your temper, other people pay. I mean, it might be a spouse who literally sits there waiting at any moment. To, if she says the wrong thing, you're going to explode. Or children who have to cower, cower as you enact anger upon them. And they have no defense for it. And you, by the way, when you do that to them, you can see it in their eyes. You're putting them to death. You're killing their spirit. And it's not okay. And we have all sorts of excuses. I have an Italian temper. I have a Polish temper. I have a Mexican temper. I have an Irish temper. I mean, everybody's got, have you noticed every ethnic group has a temper? And it's called sin. It's called sin. The wrath of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. It's time to stop. It's time to say no more making people cower or, or be afraid or me explode on them so I can enact power and get my way. And God looks at that and says, stop. You don't get great relationships. You don't cause anybody to be better. You don't, you don't have life erupting in that. And you need to repent because you can. You know, if you're involved in sexual immorality, you need to repent. The Bible is very, very clear about this. And our culture doesn't understand it, but the Bible doesn't vary. That sex is a gift from God between a man and a woman who are married. And anything outside of that is sin. And God looks at it and hates it because it hurts you and it hurts others. And if you're in any way involved in that, whether it's premarital sex or some kind of homosexuality that, that's going on and you're, you don't understand God doesn't want that for you or it's adultery. By the way, adultery. I had a guy one time who was committing adultery and, and I'm talking to him and I go, man, I'm so concerned about you. And, and he said, well, I know. And I said, I'm afraid about where you are with God. And he looked at me and said, God and I are fine. 
And I said, no, you're not. The Bible says, be ye not deceived. Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't. You might say, but what about the woman caught in adultery? You remember what Jesus said to her? He said, go and sin no more. He wanted to forgive her. But what was he saying? He was saying, you can repent. You can repent. And by the way, that includes mental Mental sin in this area. Going on the internet and downloading movies or watching pictures. Uh, The number one use of the internet today is pornography. And God knows it kills and hurts and maims and destroys the sensitivity that you're supposed to have towards other people and the respect you can show and the innocence. And it all gets wiped out. And so you know what? You got to stop. You got to stop. And by the way, maybe you're an older man going, well, that's just for kids. I talked to a junior high student. He goes, I'm so embarrassed at what my dad looks at on the computer. I lay in bed and cry. You know why he cries? Because the son has a godly attitude and the father is caught up in darkness and won't admit it. It does hurt. And you know what? Here's the good news. You ready? You can repent and you can be set free and you can have that wiped away from you. And by the way, if you're sitting going, man, you're throwing a lot of rocks today, Chuck, a lot of stones. Well, for all of us who are sitting there going, yeah, you tell the adulterer and you tell the drug user, guess what? You need to repent, right? I'm not trying to throw rocks. What I'm saying is this. If any of us thinks we can walk around judging people and ripping on people and attacking people and demeaning people, we need to repent too. That's just as bad. It's about all of us saying, that's just not who we're going to be anymore. And some of you, some of you today, man, God has a destiny for you and a life for you and you're not grabbing it and wasting your life is sin because you were meant for so much more. You need to come to God. And then there's a group of you here right now I really want to talk to. I said it before, but it's just, I mean, part of the thing I don't know that I like about my job is I start getting to hear what's been done to some of you. I love that you trust us with that. But I just got to tell you, it breaks my heart when I hear what some of you have experienced. Some of you who have been so wounded and so hurt, you can't have quality friendships and you've been pushed aside and you think no one cares about you. You think you don't matter. The woman at the well came to the well alone and lonely. She was being sexually used by multiple men. She'd been ostracized to the point she sat in loneliness wishing someone would just talk to her and Jesus comes up. And he begins to tell her who he is. And he begins to, for the first time, reveal he's the Messiah and to tell her she matters and she doesn't have to stay in this life anymore. And he transforms her and she goes from being ostracized to literally grabbing a whole village and bringing them into a revival with God and from a life that was literally wasting away to a life that had amazing fulfillment. And he did that with her. He did it with Mary Magdalene, whose life was a mess and horrible and demonized, and and he set her free, and and there's so many demons that are attacking people. Some it's depression, and and some it's, it's an idea that I just want it to end with suicidal thoughts, and God doesn't want you to be that way. He wants you to be set free from that. But in many of those cases, it's because of what was done to you. And again, I hope you know that Jesus Christ hates the fact that some people have been sinned so against and evil has been inflicted on you. And he died that day to set you free so that nobody can have that power over you anymore. So that event can't have power in your life. So you can be set free from it and it doesn't define who you are and it doesn't dictate you are. And by the way, not because you deserved it, you didn't deserve it, but because you have a God who says you are need to be loved and you need to be cared for and you need to be freed from that thing that was done. And you need to repent today and say, no more letting that guide me. I'm going to start being the child of God he called me to be and not let that person, what they did to me, make me who I am anymore. And God wants that for you.
And you might be sitting here saying, okay, but how do you get that? Here's the answer. Repent and be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, there were a group of people and they said they were struck to the heart and they knew it was for them, but they didn't know how to get it. And they looked at Peter and they said, what should we do? And Peter said in Acts 2 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise isn't just for you. It's for all who would want to hear, all your sons, all your daughters, and for all time. Are you ready? Repent means you don't have to be the same anymore. You can tell God, I want this. And be baptized. Why? Not to go through a religious ritual. But to come up here and say, this is the day that power of sin is gone. This is the day that hurt is gone. This is the day I'm plunging in and saying I'm being buried with Christ and I'm rising to be different. And today I'm going to ask you to do that. Today on this Easter, the day that we call, bring the culmination of the message and life of Christ, I want to give you a chance to experience it. I want to give you a chance to say, I'm going to pray and say, God, I'm yours. And I'm going to come and be baptized and be buried with Christ. And I'm going to ask you to do it in a radical way. I'm going to ask in a moment, if you're ready for this life and the life God has for you, that after we pray a prayer, I'm going to ask you to get up and make your way to an aisle and go to one of these pools and get baptized. And, and you might say, wait, 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 what are you mean in my clothes? Yeah, kick off your shoes in your clothes, get in. That day that Peter said it, 3,000 people just went into the water in their clothes. By the way, Jesus didn't put on something special to go to the cross. You don't need anything special to get baptized. Just come and do it. And by the way, I do know this is true. And we talked to some people the last couple of hours. Uh, some people here, you're afraid of water. I, I mean, I understand it could be a traumatic thing or you didn't swim or something stopped you. Here's the good news. You could get baptized in this pool. You will not drown. I promise you won't drown. And we had some people come and go, I'll do it then. I can do it in here. Now we have these other pools available and you might look and say, but uh, there's cold water in those pools. Well, the River Jordan's cold. I just found that out. But, but here's the point. We have a heated one back there. So you can go back there. Uh, you might say, what about my belongings? We have a plastic bag to put your belongings in. And we have very trustworthy people who will hold it for you and give it back to you. Only two are on parole. And uh, they'll, they'll give it to you. You might say, but what about, I've got a white shirt on. and It'll show through. We'll give you a shirt like this. Or if you need to have your top covered or you just want it. We have a shirt called, I was baptized on Easter. And we can give you this. We've got a towel to make sure you can dry off. And we even have a trash bag you can use to cover your car seat, uh, you know, and when you get inside. So here's the thing. What prevents you from being baptized? The answer is nothing. Nothing should stop you if you want to be right with God. What you need to do is repent and be baptized and say yes to him. And let this be a day where the Easter message is something that becomes real. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray right now that you're going to move and touch hearts and lives of men, women, guys, and girls who are in this room. Lord, I pray your spirit would stir upon them and touch them. And Lord, I pray right now, God, I believe there's some people here, their hearts are starting to be faster and faster. They didn't know this moment was come. They didn't know this was going to be offered, but it's for them. They can be free. They can be transformed. They can be uh, new and have the newness of life. God, some of them need to be freed from things in their past that plague them, things they've done, and they need to walk out of here freed from that. Some, Lord, need to be freed from things that are presently now hurting them and hurting their relationships, and they can be walked out of here and be different from that. God, everybody who's here today that chooses to say yes to you can go out with your power and your love and the newness of life, and they would be now your child. So God, I pray you're going to call people to you.
I pray God for some men who are here today that need to be the husbands and dads they should be and their kids have been praying for this and their wives have. God, I pray that no longer is pride gonna stop them. They're gonna come forward, get baptized and walk out of here being men of God, loving their families and leading their families with you. God, I pray for some people today who feel like there's nothing for them in life, that no one cares. I pray they're gonna come and let those lives be washed away and walk out of here brand new. I pray, God, for some marriages that need to be healed, that that they're going to come together today and they're going to walk out different. I pray for some children, Lord, that are here. Their parents have been praying for them. Our brothers and sisters have prayed that today they're going to come. So God, we pray right now and ask that you begin to touch every man, every woman, every guy and girl who needs to say yes to you, who needs to arise and be baptized, who needs to walk out of here committed to living their life for you. I'm going to ask us to keep praying. Right now, I'm going to lead a prayer. This is what we call repenting. You start by telling God what you're gonna do. Telling him that you want him. And if you're ready, I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer with me. Just whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sin, to heal me of my hurt, and to make me new and to make me alive and to make me yours. And I want this. And I want you. So I want to be totally forgiven. I want you to put your love in my heart. And I want you to give me the power of the Spirit. So I'm committing myself to you completely. I'm saying I'm yours. And I don't want to walk out of here the same. I want to walk out of here with you. So help me, Lord. Some of it's hard, but help me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.